0: happy and cannot wish for anything else. Is that indeed the main goal of humanity? And that is to be joyous and happy all the time. Frankly, if this were true, we would undoubtedly fight against the notion of our own mortality our own existence because our goal in life would simply uh, to be joyous and happy and happy and and that assumes that there would be no tragedy happiness assumes that there would be no decay happiness assumes there would be no death and no dying because uh, the lord knows that we all, uh, from the moment that we are born, we are in the process of dying. So that's what it would take for most to be truly joyous and happy. Removing the threats of tragedy. Removing the threat of getting hurt. You know what I'm talking about? Because you, uh, sometimes when we uh, depart from one another, we oftentimes say, well, be safe. Because we don't want them to be overcome by any type of tragedy, anything that will make them sad. Not want any type of destitution to come upon us either. We want to be healthy and wealthy and live long and prosper. Therefore, we take vitamins, don't we? We exercise. We try to sleep well, and we try to be good people. Why? Because we really want to be happy. We want to do all things right. Uh, do things that will set us down the road, uh, down the journey of happiness. But there is a lasting joy which Jesus says should be the part uh, of life for anyone that abides in his presence, and his presence abides in them. Uh, let's look at John 15, verse 11. John, the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 11. And many of you are familiar with this, uh, but in terms of uh, what Jesus speaks of beginning in verse 1, when he says, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. So this is coming at the end of this teaching. Verse 11 says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, In other words, so you could have, I guess, a sense of happiness, and that happiness would fill you up on the inside. So what is joy? Seems kind of strange to have someone to ask you a question, what is joy? I know that uh, some people have named their kids joy. When I was a kid, they named them joy. Joy. And these days, they name them J-O-I, joy. Uh, But joy, uh, nevertheless, what does it refer to? It refers to uh, uh, the proclivities and behaviors associated with our flourishing, our, our doing well, in other words. You know, when we do well, we feel good, don't we? When things are going our way, when we are firing on all cylinders, we have joy in our life. But in the New Testament, it focuses on two areas of joy. One is called kara, and the other is my Two areas of joy, or rejoicing, or some branch of those words. The first one, kara, uh, this is the joy related to the response of those who have received the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Now we're talking about the New Testament, right? Uh, This is the response. So, uh, because God has saved me, I have joy. Remember the song, uh, that old song, I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Remember that song? Down in my heart. Remember that? Maybe that was Granny from the Clampage or something like that. Right? But it is the joy as, ex- as an expression of what Jesus Christ has done for you. He's done for me. So Kara is the first one. The second one is Makarios, And Makarios is the joy or the condition of those of us who live our lives in accordance to that saving grace. So, on the one hand, uh, we have the joy because we have been saved. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. On the other hand, we have the joy because we're living a life uh, that is reflective as being pleasing to God. God is pleased with us. So, as an example of Kara, relationship will respond to receiving that saving grace of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. And it says this, and hopefully you have your Bibles in front of you. It says this, Though you have not seen Him, Peter says, you love Him. Though you do not see Him, you do not now see Him, you, we believe in Him, and here it is, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Uh, that is the joy in response to our salvation. And then the example of Macarius in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. Acts 20, verse 35. The passage says. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I hear you saying, you're saying, where is this idea of joy? The idea of joy is in the word bless. That is my uh, That is happy. So uh, Jesus says, uh, you are more happy when you give than when you receive. I know some of us say, no, I'm more happy when I receive from others. But Jesus says, no, you don't get it. You are more happy when you're able to help a brother, or help a sister out. You know, you get a sense of joy welling up in your heart. So our understanding of joy revolves around the idea of life's right, grand potential or personal well-being. Now this is in regards to how we currently look at joy. As long as I'm good, I'm happy. Right. As long as all of my needs are taken care of, I'm good and I don't care about anyone else. But joy is also a reflection of what happens in someone else's life. Jesus says it is more blessed or it is more joyous uh, to give than it is to receive. For instance, you are full of joy when you attend the wedding of someone that you love or someone that you know. Because you know uh, the, the potential of what may happen between this man and this woman. Even though in the back of your mind, you know that, uh, 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 that relationships have problems. You know, years ago, many years ago, uh, as a musician, uh, I played more weddings, performed at more weddings than I care to remember. Remember? Receptions. And one of the things that, uh, this is this a long time ago now. I don't do this now, so don't say that I do it now. Amen? But I'm going to tell you the story anyway. So, one of the things that uh, me and uh, a musician friend of mine used to do, we used to uh, place bets as to how long this marriage is going to last. And I know you, you said that's a pretty dark way of looking at things. But when you've seen people spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on a wedding and the marriage not last a week, uh, you can become cynical about that relationship. You see, I've seen it happen before. I've even seen the marriage not last for days after this big, grand wedding. Sad. But we uh, become joyous. Happy when a man and a woman come together, even with the potentiality of them breaking apart because stat says 50% of the people that get married will end up marriages, will end up in divorce. But we have joy. What about uh, how, if you are a parent, how you are full of joy when your kids bring home good grades? Isn't that great? And, and, and you as a parent, you are rewarded in your mind, uh, maybe even thinking, man, I am a good daddy or I'm a good mother. Man, I know how to parent my kids. When well, the children, they are full of joy when they bring their good grades home. You see, a child that comes home and says, look, Mom, look, Dad, look at my grades. You know they got good news, but when you know that it's, when it's report card time, and you don't hear anything, you know that sometimes there can be a problem. But uh, they know they can be rewarded because of their actions. But what is joy? Another definition tells us that joy is the emotion of great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. Again, something good happens, we're happy. But the converse is is also true as well. If something good happens, we're happy. Amen? But if something bad happens, what? We're not as happy or, come on, you're sad. Right? Right? When when something bad happens, you're sad. You you are now downtrodden. You're hurting on the inside. But the question is, if we're talking about a joy that comes from the Lord, uh, is the joy that God gives us, is it wishy-washy like that? You see... Uh, if God is eternal, if God is all-powerful, if God uh, really has our best interests in mind, then why would He be so flimsy on the joy that He gives us? God's joy is consistent. The joy of the Lord is concrete. does not move. Now one thing we have always thought is that some people are more prone to mood swings than others. One reason is because sometimes folks are unable to handle their own impulse control. Some people lack joy because of a traumatic situation that occurred in their life which prevents them from experiencing the fullness of joy indicative of a follower of Jesus Christ. I just can't make it over the hump because of what has happened to them and because this thing has happened to them, they struggle and they have a hard time experiencing the true joy of Jesus Christ. Now, there is a link between the joy of Jesus that he places in us and our complete joy because, again, John fifteen eleven. Uh, Jesus says what? He says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in where? You, and that your joy may be what? Right, so that tells us, if the joy of Christ is in us, we should have full what? Uh, Let's try it again. If the joy of Christ is in us, our joy should be full. So if you walk in the house of the Lord and you call yourself a believer, you should be full of the joy of the Lord. Now, I know it's hard sometimes because we look at our circumstances and our situations, but that does not impact the joy that Jesus gives you. What does it mean to have the joy of Jesus in us? First, consider the fact that the joy of Christ being on the inside of us, it is almost unimaginable had Jesus not said it in the first place. So how can we do it? A Jesus joy, it is different, right? Uh, We must admit, it's different from that Fragile joy that we experience every day because you know again, some of you know that you are the ones that's wishy-washy and not the joy of Jesus Christ. It is us. With Jesus being God, there's a certain eternality. Again, solidness or affirming presence of joy That indicates that you are a follower of Christ. So what does it elicit in our hearts and minds to consider the fact that Jesus gives His joy? That's important. Really important. Peace. Because if He places His joy on the inside of us, then once in, on, underneath the earth, has the remote chance of taking your joy away from you. Brothers and sisters, if Jesus gives you joy, nothing can take your joy from you. Let's try that again now. I don't think that some of you are into that or believe that. And I'll say it again, if Jesus places His joy in you, nothing can take that joy away from you. Now when we factor in in all the other conditions, we begin to understand our need for the joy of Christ. And again, some situations, uh, they seem to strip our joy away when they really shouldn't. Uh, Some of you, your joy is stripped away because you are a woman, at least in your mind. Some of you, your joy is stripped away because you are black. For some, you're stripped, it is stripped away because you are white, or because you are Hispanic, or because you are Chinese, because you are short, or because some people don't perceive you as being intelligent or even because of what your brothers and sisters have said about you when you were younger, that you continue to carry this thing all the way into adulthood, and now you have no joy in your life because of what a brother or sister or mother or father said about you in the past. But again, if Jesus says uh, that I will give you joy, you should have what? Joy. You should have joy. Uh, uh, Nothing can separate you, not only from the love of God in Christ Jesus, nothing can separate you from that joy. But Jesus being on the inside of us, Jesus being on the inside of us, it really takes us back to John, uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 4. Look at that. Well, Jesus tells us to abide in Him and He in us. Uh, John 15, verse 4. Jesus says this, Abide in Me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in Me. A branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So first, uh, this can only happen if you have a relationship of redemption in Christ. So if you are going to have the ability to abide in Christ, you must first have been redeemed from the curse of the law and know Jesus Christ. Without this foundational work, nothing else that I says matter. Nothing else that I will say will matter to you if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you have not been saved by our Redeemer. So having Jesus Christ abide in you means your spirit is where the living God dwells. Remember the scripture says that uh, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Right? Uh, you can only be the temple of the Holy Spirit only if you know Jesus Christ. Other than that, uh, there is no temple of the Holy Spirit in you. Did you know that? Your body is not all that. But doesn't that sound like one of the most wonderful things that could possibly happen? Jesus on the inside of us? So now, Jesus says here in John 15, verse 4, He says to abide. Right? This is a right now an ongoing intimate relationship with Christ that maintains its potency or its power over time. So uh, the presence or the abiding uh, uh, of Jesus Christ inside of you, that it never diminishes, doesn't diminish with circumstances. Guess what? It doesn't diminish with your emotions. I don't care what happened to you at at the job this week, amen? I don't care who talked about you, amen? I don't care how much money you think you need to make on your job or what happened with your relationship, the one thing that you can count on, the one joy that you know that you have, is because Jesus Christ has saved you. Now, I'm not saying that emotions are wrong, because they're not. But they can obstruct the guiding force of the Spirit if our decision-making and relationships are uh, moving against the Holy Spirit. So some emotions can have devastating consequences. And some emotions are out of place. And I tell you, if you happen to be of the emotional type where you do not allow the Spirit of God to guide you, then you need to get it together today and get it together soon. Let's face it, all of us can be emotional, can't we? All of us. Imagine what would happen if everyone in this room today decided to act on their emotions. Think about it. Now you say, well, I'm just, you know, because I'm going to be honest. uh, Men, we know this to be true. Ladies, you know this to be true. I'm just emotional today. Right? Okay. All right, I get it. So if you're just emotional today, let me just be emotional today. Let's see how that works out. You see, uh, and then you get a bunch of us emotional folks uh, uh, in the room together, like on your job. Now imagine, you know, sometimes when your job is already kind of jacked up, right? Or sometimes in your classroom is already kind of jacked up. Now imagine that if everybody did what they wanted to do because they were feeling like this and they weren't feeling like that. What if you walked into a classroom, if you're a student, and your teacher decided to give you an F for the rest of the semester just because they felt like it? See, something in us uh, that uh, there must be uh, some type of control, uh, but for us it's not just about a control, it's about the spirit that lives inside of us. The abiding presence of the Lord means that it's happening right now, today. When you hear my voice, it's happening now. It means that the abiding presence of Christ, that it will happen tomorrow. It means that we should always be connected with the one who loves us so much. But as with all relationships, it is one that must be nurtured, and it must mature over time. This is something that we address somewhat last time when we considered the Sabbath and the necessity of rest and engagement with God at that time. but Today, we're only considering our relationship with the Lord and what it means to abide in Him and Him abiding in us and mainly the results of it as well. So now, the purpose of this abiding is found in John 15, verse 11. Right? The purpose of abiding, right, that these things I have spoken to you, that, uh, that my joy may be in you. So when you abide in Christ, you're going to get joy. So You can almost skip down. When you abide in Christ, you get joy. When we abide in Christ, we get joy. When we remain in Christ, we get joy regardless of our circumstances because we can reflect upon the time that God has saved us. We can reflect upon the time uh, that knowing that I don't have to worry about hell anymore, we can thank God that I'm no longer hell bound. I don't know about you, but uh, when I was in high school, uh, I didn't get in trouble uh, too much in high school. Once I got in trouble in high school, one time in high school, and I remember uh, the day that uh, our disciplinarian in the high school that I was sent down to the disciplinarian's office, you know, uh, I said some things I shouldn't have said to a teacher because the teacher didn't know what they were through. I remember the discussion to this day because the discussion was about the circle of fourths and the circle of fifths, Right. So he told me to be quiet. I said, you don't know what you're talking about. I said, you are teaching these students wrong. And this person, they were a substitute teacher. They didn't have a clue. They should have, but they didn't have a clue. He told me to shut up and said, no, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're talking about. I said, because if you do this, circle the fourths this way, circle the fifths this way, and you end up with Keith signature and so forth, he says, that's not the way it goes. I said, yes, it is. It makes, makes sense to me. If you're a musician, you know what I'm talking about. Everybody else, I go look it up in the music dictionary sometime later. Uh, but anyway, I was sent down to the disciplinaria's office. And I, as I was going down there, I was dragging my feet. And I was just in my mind, I'm on my way to a hellhole because I figured that I was hell bound and there was no way of getting out of this. So I finally made it to the disciplinarian's office and he told me, he says, okay, in these days, uh, it was you know, uh, children, capital punishment was you know part of the deal for going to school and some, well, I shouldn't say that because it'll be recorded, somebody uses it against me one day so I'm not gonna say what I really think about how some kids need to have capital punishment because that's not right today, amen? Amen. So he tells me, I get down to the uh, disciplinary's office. I remember his name, too. Uh, He's probably long gone now. His name is Mr. Kimbrough, right? So he says, okay, Spencer, he he already knew my name, not because I got in trouble, but because, you know, a lot of people knew me in the school, right? So he says, okay, turn around, bend over, grab your ankles. I said, nope, it's not happening today. He says, what? He says, "Uh, every time you try to talk your way out of this, it gets worse. He said, "I wasn't going to give you one, right?" He had a board down there about this wide, this long, right? It was about that wide, and it was called, "Go figure," right? The Board of Education, right? So he says, "Okay, now you get two." I said, "No, not happening today." Okay, he said, that's three, Spencer. He said, and "If you keep on, you're going to end up suspended." I said, "You ain't suspended. Yeah, you well, know, what do I know, right? You know?" I said, "You're not suspending me over something circle of fourths and circle of fifths." Right? It makes no sense. Guess what? Can you believe I got suspended? I tell you, authority, I don't know sometimes. They don't know what they're doing. So not only did I have to get suspended, and God bless his soul, but I had to, this time, when I went back to school after a day or so, I had to bring my father to school. And so you ought to understand my life as a high schooler. It's like, you know, I, I love my parents and all the other stuff, but it's like high school was my domain. And my parents, you know, you know uh, as long as I, you know, brought an offering to them of good grades, they were happy. Just, y- y'all, don't come to school. This is my place. So it was, I was infuriated just for the fact I had to bring my father to school. That hurt me more so than anything else. Believe it or not, that's the thing that just got under me, and I was more mad. Because now I'm walking down the hallway, you know, my school where I went to, we had over 4,000 students. Every, you know, I knew a lot of people. They would say, hey Spencer, who is that with you? I mean, yeah, that's my daddy. What, what, we didn't hear you. That's my daddy. Hey there, Mr. Spencer, how you doing? Hey there, how you doing? In the meantime, here I am dragging myself down the hallway, here I go again, right? Now I got my father with me. And you know what, yeah, so I go to Mr. Kimbrell's, the disciplinarian's office. And so he explained the situation, and my father looks at me, said, what are you thinking? I said, he's wrong. And uh, I said, that teacher was wrong. He was still wrong. He's wrong today. And, but, but in any case, the disciplinarian said, well, Spencer, you were out of place for talking in the way that you did. You disrespected him. You shouldn't have done X, Y, and Z. I'm like, yeah, well, okay. I, I, I think I get it. He says, okay, so uh, Mr. Spencer, uh, your son, he knows uh, the consequences that he's going to get paddled by the Board of Education. And my father said, okay. I said, uh And my father said, what? I said, he ain't hitting me with that. I was out. I don't know how y'all got me telling this story. So anyway, <laughs> at the end of the day, right, I'm, gl- uh, I'm glad my father don't know all the little details that went into all this, because I'd be in trouble today. God rest his soul. Uh, uh, at the end of the day, I had to end up taking it, boys and girls. I ended up taking Board of Education, but I want you to know I took it like a man. (laughs) I I bent over, and I think I got like six of them on top of it. I've seen some people, some students knocked to the ground, but I took it, I said no, if I'm going to take it, I ain't going to cry, I ain't going to budge, I'm going to take all of it. So, I don't know how you all got me talking about this. Lord, I, I need the Spirit of God. Uh, they got me all off, Lord God. So anyway, uh, let's get back to relationship, right? Amen. So the purpose of uh, abiding, we're talking about abiding. It's again found in uh, John 15, 11, that, uh, that there is this relationship that goes on between us and Jesus Christ, and then therefore what happens is if we abide in him, and then we'll end up uh, uh, really having of the joy of the Lord at the end of the day, right? Oh, I get it. Now, uh, we won't live a life as if we know we're on our way to condemnation. That was the story. That's how I got there, right? Because I was walking the hallways thinking I was being condemned, right? Dead man walking. Twice I had to do this walk. Dead man walking, right? And, 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 it, and it is that if you don't have the joy of the Lord in your life, that you, a place that you end up you end up at this place that uh, sometimes you can despise life. So Jesus says, follow these things, these instructions if you want joy. What is the joy again? John 15:4. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot, here it is, bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So in other words, if you want to have joy, you have to have the abiding presence of Jesus Christ in your life, number one, and then number two, you will bear fruit. You will bear fruit. Yes, you will. You will bear fruit in your life. If the church or the disciple of Christ does not have the abiding presence of the Lord, then how can you be labeled as belonging to Jesus in the first place? Remember, you must abide in him and he must abide in you. And without that designation, there is no identity with him. Because what happens when a branch uh, abides in the plant? You snap that apart, uh, there's no nutrients going back and forth. So ultimately it ends up dying. And it ends up not bearing fruit. So there is this relationship between, uh, as the branch is hooked on the trunk of the tree or whatever it may be, uh, that, uh, that they receive the life. That it cannot bear fruit unless it receives The life. Now, what is that fruit? I need to move ahead. What is that fruit? Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit, Paul says, is love, joy, peace, patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such things, there is no law. So here it is. So if you are abiding in Christ and He is abiding in you, then these should be the things that people should pick off of you. Ask yourself this question: Am I loving? Am I joyful? Am I peaceable? Am I patient? Am I kind? Am I good? Am I faithful? Am I gentle? And do I have any self-control? Do I need to go over that list again? But then he, Paul asks his last few words at the end of verse 23, against such thing there is no law. So what he's saying is that when you operate out of the fruit of the Spirit, you are not condemned by the law of Moses. On the other hand, if you do operate in sinfulness, then the law of Moses is automatically in effect in your life. Why? Because you are operating in the flesh. Galatians 5, 19 and 20. And here is a case in which these are the works of the flesh and people are operating outside of the Spirit. What are they? Beginning in verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident. They're obvious. He says... Uh, Paul says, this is the work of the flesh, and it is obvious. You can see it uh, with your open eyes. What are they? How are they obvious? What are they? Sexual immorality. He lists that first. Impurity. Sensuality. Idolatry. These these, These are obvious. Sorcery. Enmity or hatred. Strife. Jealousy. Fits of Anger, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, all of these are the work of the flesh, and if you operate according to these, then Paul says that the law condemns you. Paul says this, because he says the works uh, uh, of the Spirit, or the fruit of the Spirit, that there is no law against that. Got it? Uh, but uh, the works of the flesh, that there is a law against that, and you are walking and living in condemnation if this is the way that you live your life, if we live our lives this way. So if we want to have joy, we need to have the fruit of the Spirit hanging all, all off of us. Kindness. To ourselves? No. And how we relate to other people. Goodness? And how we relate to ourselves? No. And how we relate to other people. Self-control? And how we relate to other folks. Jesus says, John fifteen eleven. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. When you have the fruit of the Spirit hanging off of you, you will have the joy of the Lord. In fact, Nehemiah, he's the one that says that the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. He says that in Nehemiah 8, verse 10. Now, I know that sometimes there's a disconnect, and I need to say this is what the Lord laid on my heart, Uh, Now, if you are one of our older believers, sometimes I have run across people who are mature in the faith that think that they no longer have to mature. They think that they've made it to the end. And they no longer have to grow in their faith and in their walk with Jesus Christ. But look at Psalm 92, verse 12 through 14. Psalm 92, verse 12 through 14. The psalmist says this, the righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. Verse 14. They still bear fruit in what? All right, let's try it again. They still bear fruit in... So if you are older than 18 years old, you are old age. Amen? If you are older than 10, you are old age. If you're older than 1, you're old age. In other words, what I'm saying is that we should never stop bearing fruit. So no one can use the excuse that they are too old or to this, or to that, to bear fruit. Uh, because God has designed us uh, to continuously bear fruit until He takes us home. If you are no longer bearing fruit, one thing I can guarantee that you are not ab- abiding in the presence of the Lord. If you're, not a, if you're not bearing fruit, what is the fruit? Well, some of the fruit that you should bear love, what? Joy, what? Kindness, peace, long-suffering, I forgot that one, self-control, right? So if we don't bear fruit in keeping with the presence, the abiding presence of Christ in our life, then we are probably not abiding in Him and He's not abiding in us, that we're not working that relationship the way that we should. Now, some of you, you may think that you're abiding in Christ, but at the end of the day, your growth is just stunted. And for some of you, God has been merciful to you. God's been really merciful that he has been allowing you to bear some fruit in your life, waiting on you to get together uh, with him to say the same things about sin that he's already said. Uh, He said, in the meantime, I'm going to allow you to bear some fruit in your life because of this. But how long will he have his mercy? How long will God be patient with you? How long, brother and sister? Jesus says that if you want his joy in you, You want to be full of joy? Allow Him to abide in you. And you abide in the Lord. Because for us, as followers, disciples of Jesus Christ, we should have joy and our joy should be full. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank You so much. We thank You so much for Your loving kindness and Your grace and Your mercy. And just a reminder about Your abiding presence and how much we need Your abiding presence in our life, Lord. And we ask You today to fill us with Your joy, unimaginable, unthinkable. Fill us to the rim with Your presence. Lord God, forgive us for doing and acting in ways that are contrary to the joy that You want to give us. Thank You, Lord God. Father, we love You today and we just want to thank You for all the things that You're doing in us. And we thank You for the joy. Realizing that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And we leave this place today satisfied and full of Your presence, Lord. Have your way in our midst today. Is there anyone in this place today that does not know Christ? We would like to lead you to him. You do not have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because he's the only one that can redeem you from the clutches, the consequences of sin. But more so than anything else, Jesus wants you. He wants you to be in relationship with you. Yeah, he wants you to be in relationship with him. Is there anyone in this place today you say, yes, I want to give my life to Christ? Lift your hand in the air, we want to pray with you. Is there one in here today You want to give your life to Christ? Is there one? Is there one in this place today? Is there one? So Father, again, we thank you so much. We thank you for your abiding presence. We thank you for the joy that you have given us, Lord. And I pray that we will walk this week fully convinced that your abiding presence is with us. Lord, teach us how to please you from day to day. Now, Father, may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.